Well, this morning, as I said, we've come to the final few verses of Paul's letter to the Philippians. This has indeed been a letter filled with encouragement and gospel truth for believers, particularly those dealing with things like worry, anxiety, strife, and opposition. As we've gone through this letter, we've seen Paul express his thankfulness to God for the Philippians' partnership in the gospel. He's eased their concerns about his imprisonment with reminders about the sovereignty of God and God's ability to use any and every situation for his glory and the spread of the gospel. He's encouraged those who feared for his life by reminding him, reminding them rather, that if he has spared execution, he will go on joyfully and faithfully doing God's work. And if he is killed, it will mean entering into eternal joy and reward. He's exhorted his beloved brethren to unity, pointing them to look at Christ's example of humility and sacrifice in service to his people and in obedience to God. He's also spurred them on to righteousness as they were to work out their salvation with fear and trembling, to be lights in the world and children of God without blemish in a twisted and crooked generation, all the while honoring and following the examples set for them by those who were willing to sacrifice their lives for the sake of the gospel. He's warned them about heresy, to look out for those who mutilate the gospel and twist it into doctrine that condemns rather than saves. He's encouraged them to keep their eyes fixed on the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Not to look back at the old doctrines of salvation by works, but looking ahead to Christ who saves by grace through faith. Setting their minds on heavenly things where their citizenship is and from where they await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. In light of all these things, Paul said, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Indeed, this letter has been a treasure chest of encouraging gospel truth. And now at the end of uh, this letter, the apostle Paul comes full circle. He comes back to where he began, back to thanking these beloved brethren for loving him and more importantly, loving Jesus through their partnership and generous giving to the cause of Christ. And so just as Paul's message to the Philippians comes full circle, so will this sermon series. The first sermon in the series was titled Partners in the Gospel. And so it's fitting that this last sermon be titled Partners in the Gospel, Part 2. This morning we're going to look again at the relationship these believers in Philippi had with the Apostle Paul and the reasons for their love for him, as well as the reasons for Paul's love for them and his expressions of thankfulness to God for them. As we re-examine this loving partnership, what we'll see specifically is that God blesses those who give. And so that's our big idea this morning, that God blesses those who give. Now to begin, let's take a trip back in time back to chapter 1 to remind ourselves of who the Philippians were and what Paul's relationship to them was. So the Philippian church was the first one that Paul founded in Europe as part of his second missionary journey. Paul was prompted by a vision from the Lord to go to Macedonia and thus he arrived in Philippi where he met a woman named Lydia. Consequently, she along with her household would believe the gospel. Paul then stayed with the new believers for a few days as he preached the gospel. 
During his stay, however, he would be met with satanic opposition by way of a demon-possessed slave girl who made her owners rich by telling fortunes. Well, Paul cast the demon out of her and ended up, quite understandably, in the bad books of the girl's owners for ruining their business. So the owners seized Paul and Silas, who was with him, and took them before the city's magistrates and proceeded to ignite the civic pride of the people of the city by saying that Paul, Silas, and the gospel that they preached were a threat to the Roman customs that they held so dear. As a result, Paul and Silas were beaten and imprisoned. That night, however, the two preachers were miraculously released from prison by an earthquake. The jailer, assuming that his prisoners had all escaped, was about to kill himself. However, Paul shouted to him and told him that everyone was still there. The jailer's heart, then trembling with fear, was then open to the gospel, and he believed. He then took Paul and Silas into his home where Paul preached to his family, and they too believed and were baptized. The next day, when the magistrates learned that they had illegally beaten and imprisoned two Roman citizens, as Paul and Silas were, they panicked and begged Paul and Silas to leave the city. Now, this account can be found in Acts 16 from verse 6 onwards. And I felt the need to recount it because it really does show just how impactful Paul's initial visit to Philippi was. You can certainly understand how attached the Philippian believers would have been to Paul. Not only having a love for him because of his role in being the one to change their lives with the proclamation and teaching of the gospel to them, but bringing miraculous experiences into their lives through his account of his release from jail. Indeed, Paul would have been very special to them holding a special place in their hearts. In subsequent years, the Philippians would, on more than one occasion, show their love for Paul by sending him supplies for his missionary journeys. But having heard just how close they would have been to him, their affection and care for his needs through their generous sacrificial giving should come as no surprise. And so it was this affection and care seen again through their generous giving which led Paul to refer to them as partners in the gospel. And this was in chapter 1. He says from verse 3 of chapter 1, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. And he goes on to say in chapter 4, verses 14 to 16, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Now this word partnership is central to understanding this text. The word used for partnership was the Greek word koinonia, and it meant fellowship, association, community, communion, contribution, or sharing. So what we should understand from this is that in the case of the Philippians, the partnership they had with Paul took the form of great generosity, which was shown by the giving of gifts and supplies to him. As we know, Paul was a missionary, and so 
he would have been in need of supplies since he was operating far from home. And so the contribution of supplies from the Philippians would have been a great help to him. And the significance of this partnership goes even further than simply helping out a friend. We'll get into more of this later, but in helping Paul, the Philippians were actually furthering the gospel itself. After all, that was Paul's mission. As he says, the Philippians, because of their generosity, were partners with him in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So in giving to Paul, they were also expressing their love for Paul's mission and expressing their love for Jesus. These acts of righteousness in allegiance to Christ were signs of their salvation. And this is primarily what makes Paul rejoice. Remember we touched on that last week. When Paul says in verse 10, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. His rejoicing was not based on the fact that he got stuff. First of all, as Paul told him, he knew how to get by with little and be content in any situation he was in. So he would have been okay regardless of whether or not he'd received anything from the Philippians. Even so, we shouldn't go away with the impression that Paul didn't care about the Philippians' provision for him. He takes the time to express his thankfulness to them for caring for him. And although Paul ultimately could get by without the provision, it was still a blessing to him. The way Paul probably viewed their gift would be like, if you're walking down the road, headed to work or something like that, and you've got another 20 minutes to go, and you're sweating, your feet hurt, your back hurts, you're generally uncomfortable, but your attitude is still one of gratitude to God. You're not grumbling or complaining about your circumstances. Life may be tough, but God is still good. But then some kind person pulls alongside you in their car and offers you a ride. You appreciate it. Even though you would have been fine to walk, it's still a blessing. It saved you time, it saved you energy, it certainly made you more comfortable. And perhaps, more importantly, the kindness of the driver has brightened your day. So Paul's ability to be content no matter what doesn't dampen or erase his ability to appreciate the gift that was given to him. Rather, it allows him to shift his focus off of the gift itself and on to the givers of the gift. His rejoicing was over their righteous kindness in partnership as opposed to receiving stuff and things. So that was just a recap of what partnership in the gospel meant for Paul and the Philippians. In this context, it was about love and care shown for Paul's needs through the giving of material gifts. But I want to clarify something uh, before we go on. As I just said, the context in which the Philippians partnered with Paul in the gospel was basically one of church members giving to a church leader for the purpose of aiding him in his work. So if we were to take application from the scriptures here, we should want to imitate the Philippians and give to our church leaders so that they can do the work that they need to do. But here's what I want to clarify. Partnerships in the gospel in which we give generously go beyond giving to our church leaders or the ones who dedicate most of their time towards preaching and missionary work and so on. We actually have these kinds of partnerships with regular, so to speak, church members as well. How do we know this? Well, Paul tells the Philippians in chapter 1 that they were partners with him in the gospel. And more specifically, in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. 
Now we can all understand what defense of the gospel is about. It's about maintaining the purity of the gospel when people try to twist it or debunk it. It's about apologetics and always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. But what about confirmation of the gospel? How does one confirm the gospel? Well, you show it to be true. You show it to be sure and correct. You show that it isn't a nonsense made up theory about a peasant carpenter being nailed to a piece of wood. Rather, it's the truth about the word becoming flesh to redeem a portion of mankind to be his own people. It's the truth about the Son of God dying and rising again to cleanse us from sin and giving us his righteousness so that we can be holy and acceptable to God. So where am I going with this? Every good and righteous deed that the believer does in the name of Christ confirms the gospel. It shows it to be true and sure. It shows that there really is power behind this message that we preach. It shows that the gospel has come to our ears and into our hearts and changed us and made us new creations in Christ. And the evidence of this change is the good fruit of righteousness that we bear. So when you give generously to the needs of other believers out of love and care for them, you too are doing the God-glorifying work of confirming the gospel. When each one of us looks out for each other, even sacrificially, giving of what we have for the good of the other, we really are being partners with each other in the gospel. So by all means, give to your church leaders as they do their work, but no, don't neglect the other important partnerships among each other that you should have. So with that clarified, let's go on to examining our main idea this morning. That in these partnerships in the gospel where we give generously, God blesses those who give. We're going to try to answer the question of why God blesses those who give. And to do this, we're going to elaborate on the true significance of giving. Let's look to what Paul tells us about the true significance of giving in verse 17 of chapter 4. Paul tells the Philippians that rather than seeking the gift, that is, rather than primarily being desirous of getting material items from the Philippians, he seeks the fruit that increases to their credit. So what does that mean? What is the fruit that Paul seeks, and what is their credit? Well, throughout the New Testament, fruit has been used to refer to the deeds or attributes of righteousness that are produced by a person who has been made new in Christ. Think of the fruit of the Spirit that Paul talks about in Galatians 5.22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So those who have been redeemed by Christ and are indwelt by the Spirit produce these good attributes like how a good tree produces good fruit. To further make this point, consider the words of our Lord in Matthew 7, verses 15 to 20. It says, Beware of false prophets, who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes, or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. 
Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. So when Paul says that he seeks the fruit, he means that he desires to see the Philippians do good works out of love and affection for Christ and his people. As for their credit, this simply refers to their account or the record of their good deeds. So when we tie it all together, Paul is seeking not after gifts for himself, but after good deeds from the Philippians of which God keeps a record. So already we learn from Paul that giving is a fruit of righteousness that is noteworthy. And the reason it is noteworthy is because the Philippians were going to be rewarded for their partnership with Paul in the gospel. God would remember their kindness and bless them for giving toward his needs. In Matthew 10, when Jesus was preparing the twelve to be sent out to proclaim the gospel, he told them, among other things, that there would be those who welcomed them and there would be those who rejected them. He said, whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. So when believers perform acts of kindness and charity toward other believers, God does not forget nor does he overlook those acts of righteousness. Rather, God keeps a record and will reward his children according to the good fruit that they have produced, this good fruit of giving. And just to make clear how significant this is, consider Jesus' words as he taught his disciples of what would take place at his second coming. He says in Matthew 25 from verse 31, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. So when believers perform acts of kindness and charity toward other believers, our Lord Jesus views those deeds as having been done directly to him. And our Heavenly Father views those deeds as having been done directly to his own precious Son. So the true significance of the Philippians' generosity and the reason why it is blessed by God is because in receiving Paul, they received Christ. In giving to Paul, they gave to Christ. 
In loving Paul, they loved Christ. And so Paul took note of their righteous fruit and was glad because he knew their Heavenly Father took note of it as well. So what does that mean for us? An obvious application to draw from this text is that we should want to become partners in the gospel with our pastors out of the same love and affection that roused the Philippians to support Paul. We should view our giving to the church or to the work of the pastor as giving to Christ. We should want to generously give into offering on Sundays because this supports the leadership of the church and allows them to devote most of their time to their duties of prayer and ministering in the word. It helps the church do its business. Understand that when you give to the church, you are giving to the body of Christ. And Christ, who is the head of that body, is pleased by this. And he says, you will not lose your reward. Now that was the obvious application. The desire to give to the church so it can fund its endeavors to reach the lost on larger and larger scales. Sending more and more missionaries out into the field and funding the planting of churches and the sending of money and supplies all around the world and all these grand acts of charity that further the gospel. But my friends, in all this, don't forget the not-so-obvious application that even giving to the least of these our brethren is blessed by God as if we had given to the Lord of glory himself. So in your zeal to help fund the big things like the new church plant or gospel radio programs or what have you don't neglect the smaller things the brother or sister sitting right next to you who would be blessed by your gift cooking a meal for them and bringing it to their house helping to pay for a medical procedure some gas in the tank when it's the end of the month and funds are low God is very pleased by these acts of generosity and what of those who receive what are the pastors and church leaders who receive these good gifts what does this mean for them well like Paul their joy should come not directly from full collection plates on Sundays but from the fact that the good trees that God has placed in their care are bearing good fruit that rather than being cut down and thrown into the fire the way that diseased trees are when they produce bad fruit these good trees will be nurtured and flourish as they are blessed by God on account of the good fruit that they bear. Like Paul says, he doesn't seek the gift. He seeks the fruit that increases to their credit. So what should drive our church leaders should be a desire to see righteousness abounding among the people under their care. And it's similar for those of us who may receive gifts from our brethren. Recognize that God is confirming his gospel to you as you see the fruits of salvation coming forth from the lives of your brethren. Let this be the source of your rejoicing when you receive gifts from your brethren. Rejoice that God loves you and has provided for you by the care of your brethren. Rejoice that they, having done good to you, will be rewarded by your Heavenly Father. So now that we've seen what the significance of giving is, I want to take some time to elaborate on a specific quality of giving that Paul tells us about. <clears throat> you see, the Philippians did not only give, but they gave sacrificially. Paul says in verse 18, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice 
acceptable and pleasing to God. The gift given by the Philippians was indeed a sacrifice because they gave out of their poverty. The Philippians weren't rich people. Paul hints at this in verse 10 when he says, You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. We learn more about their poverty from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians in chapter 8. There we see that Paul is urging the Corinthians to imitate the generosity of the Philippians in their sending of aid to the saints in Jerusalem. Paul says to the Corinthians, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, they gave beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. So the Philippians, even though they were going through a time of great hardship and poverty, by the grace of God, had such a love and joy for the saints in Jerusalem that they chose, without coercion, to give generously to help them. And they gave sacrificially. Paul says that they gave beyond their means. It cost them something to help their brethren. Their act of kindness likely caused them discomfort. Perhaps they had to go without something for the sake of their brethren. It was indeed sacrificial giving. But they were willing to do it. And not just willing, eager to do it. This kind of generosity is difficult. It takes a great deal of maturity to give in this fashion. Benefiting others at the loss of something to yourself. And you're not doing it because you think it's what's expected of you. You're not doing it because of peer pressure or feelings of guilt. You're not doing it and then regretting that you've done it. No, this is uncoerced, willing, joyful, and unrepentant giving. It's something that you want to do. Something that you do purposely and thoughtfully, without regret. Being willing to take loss for someone else's gain and doing it with joy and excitement. This is what sacrificial giving requires. And if that makes you uncomfortable, well, I'm sorry for you because it is a concept so deeply woven into who we are as Christians that there is no escaping it. The only reason you sit here this morning, free from the power of sin, clothed in righteousness, and in your right mind, having been freed from the madness of unbelief, is because Jesus Christ looked upon you and joyfully, willingly chose to sacrifice himself for you. He endured great loss for you in the condescension. And no one forced him to go to the cross. No one took his life from him. He laid it down of his own accord, willingly and out of love. Oh yes, sacrificial giving is at the core of our faith. One cannot be a disciple of Christ, a follower of Christ, an imitator of Christ, if one does not find joy in sacrificial giving. We all ought to pray to God and ask him to work on our selfish hearts so that we can be more like the Philippians and ultimately more like Christ. Paul tells the Corinthians that the Philippians begged to be able to take part in the relief effort for the saints in Jerusalem. 
the text doesn't say this, but I can almost imagine someone in Paul's party saying to the Philippians, No, brothers, if you give so much, what will you have left for yourselves? And the Philippians replying, No, please, let us have the privilege of giving to the saints in Jerusalem. Because as we give to them, we are first and foremost giving to our Lord. We love our Lord and we love his people. Let us give even though we are poor. The Lord will provide for us. Now that's a concern we should take the time to consider. If we are always giving so generously and sacrificially, what will we have left for ourselves? But Paul provides us with an answer. Philippians 4 verses 19 and 20 say, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Having seen the blessedness of giving, that it is pleasing to God, and that God stores up reward for us when we give, we see here also that God supplies the needs of those who give. Those who provide for the needs of others out of love and at loss to themselves are not themselves left wanting. Though we may be poor or make ourselves poor for the sake of others, we serve a Lord who is rich beyond all measure. Jesus Christ is always able to supply our needs. Paul explains this idea further in 2 Corinthians 9, while writing to the Corinthians to have their gift for the saints in Jerusalem ready in advance for collection. From verse 10, he says, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. Now, of course, this text isn't our main focus this morning, so I'm not going to dive into a deep exposition of it, but it will help us understand what Paul is saying in Philippians 4 when he says that God will supply their needs. Verse 10 of 2 Corinthians 9 says, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. That is to say, since it is God's will that you give, God provides you with things to give. When God multiplies your seed, that is, when God blesses you with wealth, he does so to increase the harvest of your righteousness. That is, he blesses you with wealth so that you can bountifully produce the good fruit of giving to others. Verse 11, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. God supplies for you so that you can be generous and supply for others. Verse 11 and verse 12, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. When God supplies and cares for you so that you can supply and care for others, it's not just about providing for the saints. It's about God's glory as he ultimately gets the praise for being the one from whom all good gifts flow. And he is the one who works in the hearts of the saints to spur them on to acts of charity. It is ultimately about glorifying God. 
You see, all of what we've just read in 2 Corinthians 9 is wrapped up in Paul's statement in Philippians 4 that God would supply every need of theirs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Be generous because your generosity is how God provides for the saints. Give generously because God is seeking to reap a harvest of righteousness from you. Sow bountifully. Give much so that your harvest of righteousness may be great. And give sacrificially without fear of loss because God provides for you. And all of this is to the glory of God. When we give, God gets the praise because he provides for us so that we may give relief to our brethren. When we receive, God gets the praise for planting us among a forest of healthy trees, each producing good fruit. We experience the fruits of the Spirit and our faith is strengthened as the truth of the gospel is confirmed to us. Then indeed the cry of our hearts can be, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Brothers and sisters, giving is a blessed work. Giving is a means of partnership in the gospel that is beloved by God. Our God gives freely and is pleased when his children do the same. The Lord loves a cheerful giver. And God indeed blesses those who give. 